Welcome to another edition of The War Room here on KOKC Radio. I'm your host, Sean Fry, the managing sports editor of the Parsons Sun and Chanute Tribune. And just a, so a recap, no guest this week, so a bit of a recap of some sports that have happened in the past week uh, and a bit of an update on the private school controversy and just my general musings and thoughts. So uh, no, no, no blame spread whatsoever if you just immediately turn a dial, but I've got a few things to uh, address and we'll start with uh, just the fact that we are entering uh, what I, what, uh, you know, crossover season, baseball and softball at the college are, are starting to get underway. Labette uh, baseball uh, played Crowder this past weekend. Uh, so now we have winter and spring sports starting to merge into one another. It's a busy time of year. Always an exciting time. I'm going to get Ryan Phillips, the Labette softball coach, here in the building soon uh, for an interview. He's always good to talk to. They, the Cardinals should be pretty good on the softball field this year. Uh, got to watch some college basketball over the weekend as Labette played Neosha County. Uh, Labette men beat ne- Labette won both games, uh, but it was that women's game that was certainly the more exciting one. Labette went Labette ranked number seven in the country, beats an unranked Neosha County, eighty-five to eighty-two. Labette trailed in the final minute of this game, a game that featured six technical fouls, uh, if I remember correct, four stoppages to address skirmishes and dust-ups that happened in the game, and two ejections, one on each side uh, for LeBet and the Ocean County. It's certainly very testy game, and and it was and it was a good basketball game too. Neosha County really came to play. Uh, you know, I watched JJ Davis, uh, the head coach for Neosha County. He was perfectly comfortable telling his players, "Hey, we're going to press. We're going to play fast. We're going to uh, create havoc. We're going to." Uh, be ourselves, and, and that's an identity that Labette and Mitch Rolls' group have embraced for years, and if anything, they embrace it better than almost anybody in the country, probably better than anybody in the country. They may not be better than everybody in the country. They're a top 10 team for a reason. They're better than most teams in the country, but they may not be better than every team in the country. Obviously, we saw CCB Essex out of Maryland beat them fairly handily in the year. They've lost a the game to Johnson County. Uh, and you know that conference title is going to be a dogfight between Labette and Johnson County, but it is hard to envision uh, a team that's just straight up faster or better at being fast than Labette, and the Ellsworth County went blow for blow with them. Uh, this was a team, Labette turned it over over 30 times this year. That was a season high for the Cardinals. Labette just didn't really look like themselves, and y- y- you saw a team willing to go strength on strength and almost outduel Labette on their home floor. But Labette ends up winning the game. Labette wins the game, and uh, and this was a very, obviously, a, a very back-and-forth game. Labette led by 12 going into the fourth quarter, and what was a fairly close game throughout, by the time Labette gets to the end of the third quarter, they're up 12, you're thinking, all right, they, you know, all the testiness has finally gone away. You know, we, we, we've had a few dust-ups, but it, it looks like as the air is starting to clear a little bit, looks like Labette's going to be the one to pull out of this one. Instead, they cough up that 12-point lead. National County comes all the way back, takes a lead in the final minutes, uh, is leading in the final minute of play, but Labette scores eight points in the final 50 seconds uh, to win that game. Really just an outstanding effort by the Cardinals, an outstanding effort by the Panthers, too. It was an exciting game to watch. 
Uh, on the high school side, I thought, uh, you know, I watched St. Paul girls. They continue to stay undefeated in three Rivers League play. They're playing well right now. Uh, St. Paul boys had a three-game winning streak snap. They're 4-11 on the year. Uh, but they had a three-game win streak going into a loss against Jayhawk Glenn in which they got every open shot they could have looked. They really should have beat Jayhawk Glenn and lost, I think, by about 10 or 12. I thought they should have beat them if they just made some shots. Uh, they got catch-and-shoot open threes, and they got to the rim for some decent looks. Just couldn't get them to go. Got to make shots of basketball, and sometimes that's really what it takes. Uh, the Parsons boys, they're coming off that Lancer Classic Championship um, in Cherokee a, few, uh, a little bit ago. Uh, they lost to Chanute last week, uh, or the previous week, rather. Uh, they come back, beat a very good front and act team on Tuesday after they trailed 25-8 to in the first quarter, end up winning that game by double digits. Uh, but then they go on the road and lose to Fort Scott. On Fort, at Fort Scott, not the best day in the world for the Vikings. Uh, the, as you, you, you saw two state-ranked teams in Fort Scott and Parsons playing each other at Fort Scott. Fort Scott finishes off the season sweep of the Vikings, uh, and that gives the Vikings their third SEK League loss. Uh, and I would argue that at this point, barring... Obviously, independent. So, Independence and Fort Scott both sitting at one loss uh, in the league. Um, Independence two Parsons and uh, Fort Scott two Independence. Uh, I would argue at this point, you know, it, it, barring it, it, barring anything abnormal happening, which we could see. I'm not going to knock. I, I think Coffeeville is might clip somebody. Labette County might clip somebody. Uh, but barring anything abnormal happening, and it, it would have to be multiple abnormal things happening, it looks like Parsons have been knocked out of the SEK League race on the girls' side, and that race is going to come down to Fort Scott and Independence. Parsons, though, still battling for a, a top-four seed on the east side of the 4A East on that girls' side, and if they can finish in that top-four, that would give them potential two home games in the postseason, a chance to host the sub-state championship, with a chance to go to the state tournament on the line, that is still very much on the table. Parsons has an opportunity to draw. Parsons has an opportunity to win out the rest of the year. They get Labette County this week. It'll be an exciting game. They're looking to avenge uh, an early season loss. We all know Parsons has a hard time with Labette County. I mean, the Grizzlies have lost to them twice. Or I'm sorry. Yes, Labette, I was right. Labette County has only lost to Parsons twice in girls basketball since 2013. Uh, and that one of them was a neutral site, and one of them was at Parsons. They've never lost an Altamont. The last time they did lose to him was Nina Taylor's senior year at Parsons. So, Labette County coming into Parsons on Tuesday. Uh, Parsons is probably the better team. Labette County's 1-0 against them this year. We'll, we'll see how those teams match up. It'll be a big game on the boys' side, too. The Parsons boys, they are winners of six of their last eight, but have lost two of their last three as well. Uh, including their last two league games. Uh, we'll see how... Uh, and Labette County, they're, they're coming off a loss to Independence as well. Both teams, every team in that Parsons-Labette County rivalry coming in on Tuesday is going to be desperate for a breath of fresh air. They're desperate for a win to to clean cleanse the palate a little bit and get some of that momentum going into the backstretch of this regular season headed towards the postseason, which is coming up fast. Uh, 
one of the best performances individually. I didn't see it in person, but one of the best performances individually. Uh, it was Stetson Hempel Schaefer for the Cherryville Boys. He pours in 42 points over Fredonia on route to a win for the Chargers there. A great showing by Stetson Hempel Schaefer. He is an electric three-level scorer, can get to the rim, uh, can shoot to the, can shoot the three, offers size, probably doesn't use it enough, honestly. He can probably pull down a few more rebounds uh, when he has his mindset right, but 42 points. Uh, and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but since I've been here in Parsons, I got here in the fall of 2014, as my memory serves me correctly, there is only I've only seen one player in my coverage area, in the Parsons Sun coverage area, which includes Parsons, Labette County, Oswego, Chautauqua, Cherryvale, Erie, and St. Paul. To the best of my knowledge, the highest single-game score in that time frame was Tristan Gegg, who gave you 45 twice. Tristan Gegg, the former star at Labette County High School. She's only 2,000-point scorer in SEK League history. She just recently crossed the 2,000-point threshold at Pitt State. Congratulations to Tristan Gegg, friend of the show on the War Room, even though, good Lord, can't stand her having on. Uh, what, what, a, what a headache she gives me every time I leave the studio, but... Uh, obviously, Tristine Gegg, uh, a fantastic player. I believe she's the only one I've seen score over 40 in a game in high school basketball within my coverage area. Uh, so I believe Setsa Temple Schaefer is the first boy I've seen do it in my coverage area. I, I, I do not believe Dariq Williams or Daquan Johnson or or uh, Matt Javon Relaford ever got to the 40 mark. Javon Relaford, Magic Relaford, who's also at Pitt State right now, he might have. He might have. I'm almost certain Daquan Johnson and Dariq Williams didn't. And partially the reason I know Dariq Williams didn't do it was because his best games weren't was when he was giving you 35. His best games were when he was giving you 18 and 13 assists. That was when he was at his best. Dariq Williams playing at his very best wasn't piling up the points. So, uh, I, and by the way, I actually saw Dariq Williams over the weekend. He's still on the Neosha County men's basketball roster. Uh, he, but unfortunately. Uh, a couple, you know, back in November, he tore his right ACL and lateral meniscus again. Uh, the guy has been nothing but hampered by injury since 2020. We all remember, uh, right as COVID was hitting, uh, you know, he gets hurt in substate for for a Parsons team that was ranked number one in Class 4A. Uh, you know, he, he, he gets injured in a substate game against Hayden. Uh, they survive that game. Uh, they win the substate championship and then they're upset by Rose Hill in that first round of the state tournament. Ow, Dariq Williams missed that substate championship and the first round of the state tournament. Hours later, after that loss to Rose Hill was when sports shut down across Kansas. Uh, it was in the middle of that COVID outbreak, uh, in March of 2020. That was when it all happened. Uh, Dariq Williams just, just has not been able to stay healthy since I had a conversation with him and I, I told the guy, I was like, man, it, it's just unfair. And he goes, yeah, I know it, it's not fair. And, uh, but I talked to Dariq Williams about it, see what his plans are. He does want to go to a try to get, he's going to graduate from Neosha County this spring and he's going to try and get on, move on to a four year school, uh, just like any other junior college athlete would in his, in his case. Uh, he was the leading scorer for Labette County, or I'm sorry, he was the leading scorer for Neosho County when he got hurt. The guy can still play. It's just a matter of, could, will he ever be cleared? Will he be allowed to do it? Will a school take chances on him? Is he is he going to go to a Power 5 
D1 school, probably not. I don't know what type of looks he's getting. Somebody's going to take a chance on him. Somebody will. And, you, you know, you you have a leading scorer of a Kansas Jayhawk Conference men's basketball team. They're all going to get, all those guys are going to get a chance. Somebody will take a chance on him, and he'll get his opportunity. We're going to go to a quick break here on the War Room. When we come back, I'm going to give you an update on the private school controversy, uh, the private, the latest on the measures that, uh, Keisha is trying to get through uh, the Kansas State Legislature uh, to address uh, the multiplier uh, that is on the table for private schools in Kansas uh, when we come back here on The War Room on KOKC Radio. I'm your host, Sean Fry. Don't go anywhere. And we're back here on The War Room here on KOKC Radio. I'm your host, Sean Fry, the managing sports editor of the Parsons Sun and Chanute Tribune. And let's go over uh, what I promised you at the uh, right going in the uh, right going into the commercial break, I definitely can talk today. <laughs> um, uh, let's uh, talk about Keisha's update, the latest update on the Keisha uh, private school multiplier that is now in the hands of the Kansas State Legislature. Uh, earlier in January, the Kansas State House of Representatives Education Committee heard testimony on Bill HB two thousand three that, if passed, if enacted by uh, the Kansas State legislature uh, would uh, make those rules official in the 2023 and 2024 school year. Uh, the bill amends uh, a current statute on the books, KSA 72-114, uh, which reads, uh, would establish a system of classification of member high schools according to student attendance, and then it would add and other factors. Uh Keisha's, uh, as a reminder, Keisha's multiplier um, is three-phased. It takes into account number of championships, your location, and your socioeconomic status, uh, which looks at free and reduced lunch rate. Uh, if a school is not one, if a private school is not one, uh, fi- uh, uh, champion, a certain amount of championships uh, over a five-year period, none of the other ones kick in. So you basically have to be the Bishop Meages or the uh, St. Mary's Colgans or the uh, you know the, the 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 Bishop Carols of the world uh, to qualify for this. Now the one caveat is it, it takes into account all activities. So if your debate team wins a state championship, that's counting the same as football. So I, I've kind of made the joke that you're going to have the girls' basketball coach going up to the debate coach and saying, "Don't screw us on this now. We need to stay class. We need to stay class four A." <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, uh, this uh, bill HB two thousand three, which is on the tape, which was heard by the House's Education Committee, uh, it, it is uh, being uh, sponsored. And a big proponent is Representative Tim Johnson. He's a Republican out of Johnson County. Uh, he spoke. Uh, to the state education board, or he gave testimony to the state education board saying he would champion this bill if they passed it. They passed it by a narrow margin. Um, you know, Johnson, he's a teacher and a coach. Uh, K- you know, he, he, Keisha Executive Director Bill Fathlett gave testimony to the education committee. Uh, Rod Stahlbomber spoke in favor of the bill. He is the head football coach at Baser Linwood. Uh, Stahlbomber, another big proponent of this. Uh, some of the biggest opponents of the uh, of the multiplier, uh, argue that it's just simply targeted the private schools, which I would argue, I personally would argue that it's targeted the private schools because private schools make up over 30, make up according to, uh, uh, this article that I'm reading, uh, it, uh, from the Sentinel, uh, they've private schools in Kansas have won 
thirty spent thirty six percent of all available state championships, despite accounting for less than eight percent of all schools. Uh, and that number skews in classes two A through five A. So uh, uh, there's a reason you're addressing the private schools. I was looking at free and reduced lunch rates um, a couple weeks ago, and I saw that Bishop Meage's lunch free and reduced lunch rate is zero. There's not a single student at Bishop Meage High School that is on a free or reduced lunch rate, which means that, you know, any student that walks into a public school, you have to feed them, you have to house them, and you have to educate them. You don't have to house them, but you have to educate them, provide them shelter for the middle of the day, for the majority of the day, and you have to feed them. You have to provide for their hierarchy of needs. And Bishop Meade doesn't have to do that. That's why this bill, that's why this multiplier is targeted to private schools because private schools don't have to target assistance to students that they can arbitrarily choose not to. That's where I think the difference lies, and that's my take on it. So the bill is being debated by, it, it's making its rounds through the house, through the state uh, legislature now. I think this has more momentum than I would have anticipated uh, but we'll see how the education committee and the state legislature addresses this. My fear with this bill has always been that we're going to get into the rabbit hole of uh, they're going to try to add they're going to add stuff to this. They're going to add stuff about transgenders playing in sports, which that issue certainly deserves to be litigated. I've litigated it on this show before. I've discussed my opinion on it. My opinion on it with regards to whether they or whether or not they should add anything about transgenders competing in sports. Uh, to the private school multiplier bill is the, simply the fact that that's not what Keisha wants right now. Keisha, the the governing body that has been tasked to govern high school sports in this state, has collectively come to this proposal, this agreement, this solution to a problem that the majority of respondents have agreed with, and they say that, and th- they're not trying to address high, you know, transgenders right now. And if you're going to deny and if it comes, if it, I'm not saying that's exactly what uh, the state legislature is going to do. I'm just throwing out an example, but I would encourage the legislature address what Keisha wants addressed. Very rarely am I just going to sit here and be an advocate for Keisha, but I'm doing it right now. Address what Keisha wants has decided it wants addressed and has addressed thoroughly itself. That's what I feel like is on the table right now. Another issue, though, that is going to uh, that could affect. Uh, local high school sports uh, that is coming onto the table right now. Uh, late in January, uh, you know, it, it's coming up. Uh, lawmakers on the House Committee on the K-12 Education Budget, uh, late in January, they held a hearing for House Bill 2030, uh, which would authorize non-public school students, so homeschooled students, uh, to participate in any sports regulated by Keisha. Uh, in the context of the bill, Non-public schools refer to students enrolled in any alternatives to traditional publicly funded education, such as homeschooling, virtual schools, and non-accredited private schools. Most of the private schools in Keisha, in fact, I believe all the private schools in Keisha are accredited. Uh, A separate bill passed last year allows families to enroll their children in any school district regardless of residency. Uh, This bill require you to participate for the school within your res or the district within your residency. Uh, so, uh, just to give you some facts, this is according to the Topeka capital journal, which I am a proud subscriber of everybody should subscribe to as many newspapers as they can afford. Uh, start with your local one, subscribe to the Parson Sun and the Schnee Tribune. 
Uh, but according to the Topeka Capital Journal, 25 estates allow homeschooled students uh, to access interscholastic activities, five of which require the approval of a local school district. Kansas is part of a separate group of 20 states that don't allow any participation. Um, and the, the Capital Journal cites uh, the Coalition for Responsible Home Education in that. Uh, uh, citing the Topeka Capital Journal, Harold John Eck, a parent of a Kansas high schooler, told the committee that over the last semester, he and his wife decided to move their daughter to only part-time enrollment in high school, partly out of a desire to hold her to higher academic, behavioral, and ethical standards than they had seen at their daughter's high school. But because of their daughter's part-time public school enrollment, she was not allowed to play for either public school teams as a member of Keisha or for unaffiliated homeschooling leagues, which bar students who are even partially enrolled in public schools. Uh, the current law allows for part-time students, uh, yet these students are denied a right given... Uh, to homeschool students and public school students, X said. Uh, this seems uh, discriminatory to me. HB 2030 rightly opens up these sports leagues and puts a determination back within the tax-paying student parents where it belongs. So I think this is going to be a bill. Uh, it, it certainly, I, I wonder how controversial this is. You're seeing it's kind of split right down the middle. Uh, you know, nationwide, 25 States allow it, 20 don't. Uh, I don't know what the other five do. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's certainly a... Uh, it, I, I think it airs on that side. You know, do we want to deny kids in your... Uh, that live in your tax district to or, or in your taxable community to uh, participate in publicly funded athletics and activities? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I do know a core value of athletics and activities is to engage uh, kids with their school. Like, you know, I remember reading, I've said this on this show before, I remember reading a report from the Kansas Reflector that said about a quarter, about a quarter of students in Kansas are considered chronically absent. I'm telling you right now, none of those kids are actively participating in any sports or activities because there's eligibility standards for athletics for athletics and activities in the state of Kansas upheld and maintained by Keisha. So none of those kids that are chronically absent and falling behind in their education are playing any sports right now. Sports are, but if you want to play sports, you have to stay eligible. You have to show up for school and do your and do your job. So uh, does that? engagement go down i don't i don't know you you certainly run the risk of okay well i'm just gonna if i want my i, I don't know i i really don't know what the right answer to this is i i don't have a strong opinion on it one way or another i was i was i was proudly brought up through the public education system of uh kansas hawaii and virginia uh in my schooling years then went to kansas state university uh where i studied journalism uh it's a uh I, I, I don't know what the right answer is, uh, but this is something else that is on the table right now uh, for Kansas uh, high school athletics and something that I always feel like uh, people should be uh, paying attention to is how these legislative bodies um, uh, affect high school athletics, affect your child. Uh, obvious, you know, it, it, that's part of, to me, a part of the education process, which is what athletics and activities all advocate for. That's all I've got time for on the War Room today. I'm your host, Sean Fry. Everybody stay safe and God bless.